This episode is supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Because as a non-drinker, it never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. So now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. Whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails, and you'll find those in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at seedlip underscore na. Head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This is available in the US and in Canada. And again, that is seedlipdrinks.com and this family tree 10. Hello everyone, I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this family tree podcast, episode 115. And this is a little bit of a break we took, but we're back. But we're here. We're here and we're ready and we've got a great episode lined up for you. I spoke to Dr. Karen Jakubowski. She is an educator and empowerment coach and she helps powerless parents use problem solving and mindfulness to help with child challenges. So it's really fascinating and she offers like practical advice right in the podcast like we go through it together things that you can use with your kid if they are in the middle of a behavior challenge a tantrum a meltdown whatever and it was just it was a fun and super educational interview for me I really loved it behavior challenge (laughs) behavioral I guess behavioral challenges but Shane cheers baby we got our non-alcoholic seed lip spice 94 and nog because i know it's after january and like nog season is kind of coming to a quick finish but we got some in the fridge that we gotta get through it disgusts me right now i, I don't, don't want to touch it it's, it's i don't want to go same. near it i don't like this drink right now <laughs> i'll admit it i'm done with like i like seed lip i don't like the fact that we're drinking an eggnog drink I, right now we had, I, I couldn't put it down the sink I did put some down the sink today. A whole carton, pretty much. Well, this is the last of it then. Yeah, I'm going to barf. But (laughs) when we come back from a long break, don't you just feel like an idiot having a podcast coming back on the mic? Coming back on the mic, I do feel like an idiot. It took me three times to get the intro right. But at the same time, I don't mind because it's a new year. It's not like a mid-year break. So it feels like things are kind of fresh and new again. I'm excited to be sitting across All right. talking you to you. You told me to be positive this episode. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I am excited. Uh, how was your Christmas? <laughs> how was your Christmas? My Christmas was amazing. I, I really I really did love Christmas. Best gift? Worst gift? Best gift? And wor- we're rating the gifts like that? Okay. Who best cares? Gift. We're having fun here. All right. All right. Best gift... Is definitely the striped sweatsuit that you got me. Well, it, it, I don't know because I'm wearing my new favorite sweatpants now and I haven't taken them off. So it's like maybe my most fun gift is this really wacky striped colorful outfit you got me from Never Fully Dressed. But close call with the kitten ace sweats you got like amazing. Do gifts count if the person didn't put any thought into it and simply marked off a box which their spouse asked for? So in this case, you asked me to buy you what you're calling your top gift for you. All I did was put the money down. Does that gift count? Yeah, because it's it's something that I wouldn't spend money on for myself. And the fact that you looked at it and you're like, okay, this is worth what she wants. And you get it for me. 
I don't know. I I feel like you, even though I told you exactly what to get, for some reason I look at you and I'm like, oh, that was such a nice, thoughtful thing. But you did just check a box. But however, I don't mind. Worst gift. What did you get and think, Shane, this ain't it? Oh, well, it's no fault of yours, but the leather pants uh, were the wrong size. You asked for those. Well, I, I didn't know the sizes were going to be so different you know, for pants, right? Because I, yeah, I don't know. So anyway, I need to replace pants. And now it's turning into a whole fiasco because I'm waitlisted on the sizes I'd fit in. But uh, so that's kind of a pain in the ass. But what about you? Best, worst? Best gift is the gift that I wanted, which was the arcade NBA Jam. Mm. I can hook up to the internet. Um, I have like a real arcade machine in the basement. NBA Jam was a game I played as a child. Nostalgia's big for me. So I like getting down there and jamming every night. Well, and you, okay, you, so you asked me, does it feel just as thoughtful or does it have as much meaning when you simply click off a box? Like you wanted that. I, I simply got it for you. Does it still have as much meaning? No, of course not. It's not as thoughtful and it doesn't have as much meaning. <laughs> Is it still cool? Yeah, it's awesome. And it's something that I would have a hard time justifying buying on my own if one day you just came home from work and there was a big box for an arcade machine for your (laughs) adult husband. I don't know. I guess if you had a child husband, that'd be weird. But so redundant (laughs) to say adult husband. It's just it was a treat because it's something I could definitely not buy. Whereas I feel like you can buy a striped outfit and that's not as weird as a big imposing video game. Well, I guess, I guess I did put it together for you. You did. And that is what meant the most to me. If you could have somehow covertly done it, that would have been a magic trick. But we're living in the same house. It's COVID times. Mm -hmm. What can you do? Yeah, that was the best gift. What was the worst gift? What did you get that I just shook my head at? Oh, you shook your head. Yeah, stop being dramatic. (laughs) A head shake isn't that big of a deal. Okay, what? Eight large half-pound Reese cups? Do we need that many in the house? (laughs) Like, what are you thinking of me? How can I eat that many? (laughs) That's too big. (laughs) I think I got three. Three too many. Oh, my God. They're so good. Yeah, but what? we don't need the huge well, Reese cups like that. Stocking stuffers, right? Your main gift was so expensive that I had to find other ways to fill your stocking with things that were like, you know, bulky. So mm-hmm. giant Reese cups did that trick. And uh, we just cut them up like a pie and everybody in the family gets peace. But what was your favorite Christmas moment? I think when we were going to the cottage mm-hmm. and we went to a Starbucks and I almost got in a fist fight with the guy <laughs> behind me. <laughs> Who wanted to kill me, justfully so. <laughs> I think you handled it beautifully. I, I felt bad after it happened because I oh, yeah, had you were instigated <laughs> this kind of. And um, I, I wouldn't say instigated it, but I responded to this man instigating. And then I put you in a position where you had to uh, defend my honor. So just to explain, we go to your cottage. It's a three-hour drive. There is an en route. Is that how you say it? En route. En route, Yeah. And we walk in to get, you know, our Starbucks snacks. But since it's COVID-y times, it's extremely empty. The mm-hmm. most empty I've ever seen it. So I'm kind of excited to <laughs> use gift cards I have. And <laughs> stuff I typically don't use when I'm at the counter at an en route because mm-hmm. it's too busy. And using the gift cards can be inconsiderate. However, my one gift card wasn't working. The pin pad on the thing wouldn't accept my swipe. And then I'm like, okay, forget this. And then she's like, no, no. And she uses it. 
the gift card. And she's like, oh, you have no money on this gift card. I'm like, oh, okay. You can throw that one out. And then I go, I'm going to use my gold Starbucks card, though. <laughs> so she uses my gold Starbucks card, which is where I hold money on typically. Because you get Starbucks mm-hmm. points. So I like to, you know, be of course. conscious of... It's economical. Yes. And then I still owe money on top of that. <laughs> so I go... Okay, let's reload the card with 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so this is taking a while. And the, again, the card reader is not working. And the employee's somewhat new. So then she's like, okay, she, a manager has to come <laughs> help her load the $50. Then I have to tap with my credit card to load the $50 on the Starbucks card. And then... <laughs> even just hearing it, I'm cringing because these are a lot of steps. So it's this a was, lot. This was taking a while. And even if it was just you and I, mm-hmm. to you, I would be like, I'm sorry, Alex, this took of so course, long. This yeah. was a bad move. And I'm the first to... If you were doing this, I would be like, Alex, no, let's move it along. Like, yeah. this is taking too long. But I was just in a daze. My brain wasn't thinking. I zoned out and I was daydreaming in a way. And then all of a sudden, I come back to reality and I can feel people behind me. I couldn't hear them making any noises or anyone complaining about it, but I could feel people. And I was just ashamed of myself. <laughs> so I put my head down and I'm like, this soon shall pass this feeling. I'm just not going to make eye contact because I don't want any trouble. I'm just going to shuffle to the side and forget about this thing that happened because right. I'm never going to see these people again. And then all of a sudden, uh, you and a man are in an altercation. <laughs> So take it over. Okay, so Shane, this guy was just so quick to jump on it. Maybe he was having a bad day. Maybe he just likes fighting strangers that are in en route with children, young children. So in the first, this was probably a 15-minute ordeal. The first two minutes he was... (laughs) Okay, in the first first 30 seconds, he was already making it known that he was annoyed with us. It was the second you said, can I use a gift card? That's it. That is a completely reasonable thing to do. Asked to use a gift card. We're feeding four mouths here. All right. Like if we need to use a gift card to pay for that, hell yeah, we're using that gift card. So it's early to be scoffing. Early. And he goes, oh, and he makes this like noise and he kind of has his arms out, you know, like this, like what gives? And he looks around to see if he gets any support. I just stare at him. Nobody's supporting him. Everybody's just staring at him like, all right, this is a little early. And then with everything that's coming up, he's just motioning to you and scoffing and and like laughing and trying to look for other people who agree with him who think you're an idiot. So when Shane's done, this guy just makes more of a commotion. So I just looked at him and I said, you got a problem, buddy? And that is, it's the stupidest thing to say because you got a problem, buddy, is confrontational so confrontational calling somebody buddy like that's what the hockey bros i went to high school with would say before they'd get in a bar fight you don't you don't say that and you got a problem is i handled it terribly and he's like oh well you know you couldn't use any more cards holding up the line and then i'm walking away shane comes in to my rescue because i've got both kids right because shane was doing all the card stuff so he needed two hands and uh he's like what's wrong what's wrong and the guy's like ask your wife and then the people no, in he line said, he, he said go go talk to your wife go go with your <laughs> wife go and he was dismissing me yeah. i go no no tell me and he was he goes oh using all these cards holding up the line and he, he was <laughs> yeah. telling me and he he was right. It was ridiculous. And I yep. said, "You're not wrong, <laughs> but you don't have to be rude like that." Mm-hmm. And then 
he was like, and then other people in the line hated him. So I went from being world's biggest dumbass asshole in line to transferring it onto this guy. And then all of a sudden he was ashamed. So I cast my shame onto him. And something about taking the shame out of my body and having it essentially, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing motions like I'm, uh, you know, <laughs> but I'm squirting it on him. It just felt great. <laughs> it was orgasmic, if you will. Well, Shane, people were loving it in the line because this is the thing. You can be a Goomba, but deal with kindness and people will understand. So people are coming up to you in the line. You got a pat on the back. Mid-Omicron times, you got a pat on the back no of the stranger. No one literally patted me on the back. Yeah, the guy, he came up to you and patted you on the arm. He did. You are probably too in the zone. The, the older gentleman right behind you came in and patted you on the arm like that. And then... When we were going to our car, we were like loading the girls in the car and everything and snacking. A family with like four kids came up to us and they were like, hey, we didn't catch the whole thing, but you guys were right. And then we kind of explained the situation to them and they're like, hey, I can't tell you how many times we've been in that situation having four kids, two dogs. Yeah, they had four kids and like- a dog, so <laughs> they were on team us. But, you know, you were taking a long time. It was annoying. That guy didn't have to be a jackass and... I didn't have to be confrontational. I wonder if I didn't have children, what I would have done if someone who wasn't an elderly person was taking that long in front of me. Mm-hmm. I'd like to think I'm better than that. And I certainly am now. But if in my 20s, do I laugh? Do I say anything? I wonder. I hope not. Look, what I was thinking of was I, I hope you wouldn't because you don't know. What if we got those gift cards for Christmas and this was a big treat for ourselves because maybe we don't typically splurge on starbucks because at a budget mm-hmm. and we have never gotten our kids something from starbucks she's excited you don't know somebody's situation so to scoff and make somebody feel like an idiot for using gift cards we were wearing all these brand new expensive christmas gifts like i the price tag was still on my new like <laughs> lululemon <laughs> puffy wait, explain that for a second because shane is not lying here you keep your price tags on for the first like little bit after Christmas. I think it's just when you get something new, <laughs> you keep the price tag on on Christmas and you walk around and you know, it's kind of funny. Not to show off the price, but just to show that it's like brand new. Like when you're walking around mom and dad and you're like, I already love the gift you gave me. Yeah, I'm so excited. I'm throwing mm-hmm. it on and not. I can't even cut it. <laughs> I can't even cut the tag off. And if you end up hating it, you can return it. So <laughs> it, there is an advantage in many ways. Anyway, guy was a dork, and uh, we came out of that winners, Shane. And I learned something as well. I learned not to be confrontational. But how do you feel now? Like, obviously, the the gorging two-week period in Christmas is fun to do. Or is it? Like, are you glad it's over? Do you wish it was still going? No, no. I am so glad it's over. I ate so much every single day. Like, not just the delicious meals, but just snacks. Like, those you know massive Reese cups that I bought you so many snacks so many chocolates and fudges and everything and it's like you're getting it from all angles we have three sets of parents we have six grandparents in our lives do you know how much chocolate that equals some of it's great some of it's terrible most of it's in between and you gotta test it all out before you even throw it out right so it's 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 habitual once you're in the habit it's hard to go back and stop and you mm-hmm. almost like, what's the this banana here? I don't even know if bananas are healthy. But it, <laughs> it's like, why would I eat a banana right now? I've already, I'm in so deep. Yeah. I'm feeling so bad. 
this chocolate is going to make me feel worse in about 20 minutes. But for the next 30 seconds, I'm going to feel a little boost of serotonin. So I'm just eating that chocolate. You know, there was some gastronomical stuff going on with me that uh, was pretty crazy. So like uh, gastronomical is gastronomy. It's like food preparation and things Mm -hmm. like that. But do you mean gastronomical, like the gas in your stomach? Yeah, it's like farts and shits. (laughs) Why do you got to pull this out of me, you know? I'm trying to be sophisticated on the microphone here. No, I like it. I like it. Um, But I I hear you. I was eating, while we were at the cottage, butter tarts for breakfast and lunch. So, like, I I get that. You must have eaten quite a bit because I didn't see any butter tarts. Well, you saw me hit those turtles. Oh, the turtle thing, too. Yeah, the turtle thing was a little upsetting. We opened a box of turtles... And the the box is the same price, but they're giving you half the amount of chocolate turtles now. It's disgusting. It, it's a tragedy. And, and so they go so quick. And I'm eating the amount I would if it was a full box of 12 and 12 on each layer. So a full box of 24. So I eat six before I even have a chance to think about what I've done. And then I look and the turtles are gone. And I go, Shane, I go, how many do you have? And he goes, two. My mom. She has one. My dad had two. And my brother had the rest. Yeah, your brother had five, you had six. Oh, it was, uh, I did not feel good that night. I was impressed at how fast you were able to get, because you you have relatively small, very pudgy (laughs) fingers. So to grab six that quickly is impressive. These fingers were made for scooping. I know. I remember I met you on a a music video set. I'm jumping all (laughs) over the place here, but we're talking about your fingers. And there's a scene at the end where freeze frames on your hand. And I never told you this, but Mark and I, we you paused. You told me this. Oh, I have. <laughs> we the, the thing pauses at the end on your head, and we both look at your hand. I'm like, look at those pudgy fingers. <laughs> I didn't even know you, but you you're, you have like funny fingers. Okay, well, not only that, but the way my hand, because when I saw the cut of the video, I was like, oh my gosh. Like my, my hand couldn't look less graceful and <laughs> angelic in this and whatever. But it's not only do I have fat Polish sausages for fingers, but... It was just positioned in a really weird claw-like form that looked super uncomfortable. But think about it, okay? Like, I was in bed in this music video with Max, who is a friend of ours, singer of the Arkells. He makes your hands balloon up like that? (laughs) No, but, like, I didn't know him. I've heard of blood rushing to other places. Listen, I kind of knew him, but, like, not really. And then this was, like, like, a weird situation. I'm, like, snuggling him in a bed. So I'm, like, nervous. And I think it... I just didn't know what to do with my body and my hands, and it looked funny. And then the Polish sausage fingers obviously didn't help. Yeah, I forget why we're talking about this, but... Oh, because I scooped up all the turtles. Yes, and it was impressive. (laughs) (laughs) What else do I got here on my little topic sheet? Oh, Christmas. It's a nostalgic time. (laughs) And I got you that camera that actually, it doesn't shoot out. Like, it's not like a Polaroid, but it will eventually, once we get the pictures developed, give us physical photos. Mm. And that's something I feel like, although we're taking more photos in this digital iPhone age, we're also losing so many photos because our phones go kaput. We don't back things up. Things are on an iCloud, but we're we're never really accessing them. What is the iCloud? I I don't know what it is. Do you know? The iCloud? Yeah. I have no idea. All this freaks me out, though. I, I don't like it. But... Photos and photo albums are something I like. I've got one foot on that side of 
history when, when I extended <laughs> my my knee just cracked so loud. <laughs> I'm very old. Which is why you have one foot yeah. on that side of history. Shane. I'm straddling both sides, the digital age and the analog age. Mm-hmm. And I just think, like I said earlier with the NBA Jam, nostalgia is so important to me. Photos are so important to me. I want to have tangible in-your-hand photos and photo albums. And we have some, but they're disorganized. Yes. And we're never going to get to it unless we create a day that I like to call Nostalgia Day. Hear me out. Mm -hmm. I'm already in. One day a year. We just mark it on the calendar. It's a weekend day. It's a Sunday. We mark down Nostalgia Day. And that day we don't clean we don't cook we don't do anything we we play with the kids but when they're napping or having quiet time we go through all of our photos and we try to put them in an album and make a nice nostalgic thing that's awesome that's awesome and it and it's so necessary because all of our photos like you said on the cloud they're not even physical copies so we need to first do a thing where we go through what now two years worth of photos i don't think we printed and get physical copies of these photos and then once we get them, we can have our nostalgia day. But it's going to be like a nostalgia thing, I'd say, just going through them to pick them out. It's like a real holiday. Nostalgia day. So the lead up to like nostalgia it. day, you prep for nostalgia day. And then on the holiday, like Christmas, you prep for Christmas. And then on Christmas, you open the gifts. On the actual nostalgia day, you put them together. Th- them together. Okay. So would, do you feel like, is this like a summer day, a spring day? can't be a summer day. Okay. Cause I was going to say it, it could be a summer day where you like do the barbecue and the beer, but it, this is a cozy activity. We got to do it sitting in front of the fire. So we. It's got to be March. March is the most innocuous month. It's, it's a nothing month. March. You, don't, you don't think March is no, it's the birthday month. It's March break month. It's St. Patty's Day month, which is if you're in university, that's important to you. Um, We're not in university. St. Patty's was never important to me. Your birthday just entered my life in the last six years. March break. We have kids. That's so going to be busy. Okay, f- f- fine. What, what, I'm, I'm saying What, Janu- is April the most? No, January, February, because then we got birthdays and all that stuff, but January, February are dreary. Yeah, but you're still dethawing from the holidays, and you're trying to get back into a normal True. routine. You can't have a new holiday, nostalgia True. day. True, Well, maybe the beginning of March then. March 1st. Okay. Let's do it. March 1st this year is nostalgia day, and I will prep by getting pictures ready. I'll start sending them in. We'll see about that. So stay tuned to see if this actually happens. I can almost guarantee you it won't. This is a challenge to Alex to see if she can follow through. Well, are you going to help me? Not really. Oh, no, Shane. I will. I will. We can lie in bed at night. How fun would it be to go through and choose 10 photos every night that we're going to send to a printer? And we just I start making I can't do that every night. I'll start dreading night. One night a week. No. Or it, something. Something. It has to be like Christmas in the, you know, it's like when you have an essay due. You can only get that adrenaline and drive to do it like a couple well, then days maybe before. i'll pick the pictures and then on nostalgia day i'll be excited to show them to show you which ones i picked and we can go through them together okay all right but yeah i'm go. not gonna make this like a month-long project leading up it has to be <laughs> you know maybe the week before we can start all right i'll it. be in charge of the pictures you be in charge of getting albums for them okay but i'll deal with it when nostalgia season is in bloom february the- Last week of February, I'll start thinking about All albums. All right, let's do it. But let's get to our conversation with Dr. Karen Jakubowski. Because That's an awesome name, but not so fast. 
We have to tell everyone who we are supported by. We are supported by Bravado Designs. They make the best bras that you can get your hands on. I was introduced to them when I was first pregnant with Lucy and Shane brought one home for me. And it was just the most practical and comfortable and easy to use nursing bra. I typically hate those things and I swear by Bravado Designs. But now as I'm kind of, you know, closing my nursing journey with my second, I'm really excited because they have an everyday collection. So the same comfort that I love, the same shape that I love, love without, you know, the clip off straps because I'm not going to nurse a baby with my boobs. So I get to keep those things in there. They're amazing. Take my word for it. If you don't believe me, check out any reviews that you find online. I found some on well.ca and they had a 4.8 out of like 30,000 reviews, which is insane. But check out the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or head to the Canadian website to check out the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree for 20% off. That's huge. Again, that is bravadodesigns.com and thisfamilytree20. And we are also supported by... The Miku Pro Smart Baby Monitor. This is the most accurate sleep and breathing monitor that you can get your hands on. There's no physical contact, which, you know, with smart monitors, typically your baby needs to wear a sock or a chest strap or something is like you're touching your baby at night. Oh, these monitors are all over children and I, for one, will not stand for it. Miku Smart Monitor uses sensor fusion technology, which is a military grade technology, and it just works with your smartphone to alert you of changes to your baby's vitals and nursery conditions. It's like having the Terminator in bed with your baby. Wait, that doesn't sound as safe as I meant it to be. <laughs> no. But, you know, speaking of the Terminator, they use crypto security, which means this thing can't be hacked, which again is like a parent's worst nightmare when it comes to smart monitors. You know, people get hacked and you hear the horror stories. Crypto security, guys, I don't know what that means. All I know is that it is hardcore. Sorry, hackers. <laughs> the monitor offers HD video and photo and has amazing night vision, of course. Plus, there are custom dual Ole Wolf speakers and a two-way microphone, which means that Miku not only plays original sleep sounds and lullabies, but allows you to talk to and comfort your baby. So check out MikuCare.com and use the promo code FAMILYTREE10 to get 10% off. This is available in the U.S. only. I'm sorry, Canadians, but again, that is MikuCare.com and FAMILYTREE10. No other monitor is a Miku. And now let's get to our interview with Dr. Jakubowski. Hi. Hey. How's it going? I made it. I- <laughs> <laughs> and I'm happy to see you. <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, oh, you won't believe what happened at school today. We uh, lost all water. What do you, like the hydro got There was no off? water. There was no water. There was no water in the community. It was my school and another school and like the neighborhood surrounding us at from 1230 till 430. So do you send the kids home at that point? I was hoping they would let us send them home. But of course they make decisions, you know, how on their own. That's wild. That horrible. That is horrible. No, it was gross. It was disgusting. Like (laughs) it was, it was really bad. Oh my gosh. So that was my exciting day. (laughs) No kidding. Well, I'm hoping that maybe we can decompress together right now (laughs) in a nice conversation before getting on with our evenings. And I do have a question. Is it Corinne or Karen? Oh, that's a great question. Karin. So neither, neither. I know, right? I get all kinds, as you can imagine. I usually say it's like car in the garage. Okay. I like Karin. it. Perfect. That, no, it's perfect. Yeah. Karin. And 
Karen Jakubowski, do you have any relatives in Hamilton? No, everybody always seems to ask me. <laughs> I know a doctor. I know a female doctor, Jakubowski. She's living in Poland currently, but she uh, she grew up in Hamilton. Yeah, no, I know. My husband came here. He's the only one from his family that came here. From Poland? Yeah. There you go. I'm Polish too. Lamparski is my maiden name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. So extra, extra excited to have you on because I know you're going to be smarter than the average being a Polak. (laughs) You're so cute. But uh, Karin, so excited to speak with you. So you are an empowerment coach, an educator, and I want to get a little bit into your background. What what do you do and and when did you start doing it? (laughs) So I... Well, ever since I was a little kid, I would line up my little uh, stuffed animals on the floor and teach them. And so at a very young age, it was interesting that I kind of like was teaching, kind of wanted to be a teacher. But what's interesting is that after high school, our church had a Bible school and all of my friends went to this Bible school. So we went there and in Bible school, I took a part-time job at a hotel in, uh, in, a nearby, in the nearby city where I live. And it was in our fitness club. And it's in the city where there's a lot of uh, law firms. So we'd have a lot of lawyers come in, a lot of engineers come in. And so they would always be like, what are you studying? Like, what do you want to become? And I would totally make it up. I'd be like, oh, I'm going to be an engineer. (laughs) Only because I was so curious at what they would say. Like, tell me pros and cons. Like, I don't talk to engineers. But I guess if they make a lot of money, like, that would be awesome. Because we grew up within our means. So we never had, you know a lot. And Mm -hmm. we very, we just had what we needed. Right. So it was like, wow, to make a lot of money, like that's, that's, that's a cool idea. And then when the lawyers would come in, I'd be like, ah, I want to be a lawyer. And they would tell me like (laughs) all these pros and cons. And I was like, Oh, I'll think about it. You know, when I was in the, in the Bible school also, I, at our church, we had a private school and somehow an opportunity came up where they needed someone to help out in the first grade. I think it wasn't even a math class like an hour a week. I don't even know why it was such like a random thing that came up, but I, I volunteered. And, um, one day and I liked it. I mean, I just, just didn't really know what I was doing, but I was just like, you know, doing whatever they said. And one of the teachers walked by and they were like, you know, you're really good with kids. And I was like, really? Oh, cause I don't know. I'm just doing my thing. I don't really know <laughs> the different. Right. Yeah. And, and it really just, Okay, so that in combination with working in the fitness club and seeing these doctors and lawyers come in every day, I I actually just took that time and just reflected like at the end of my life, what do I want to look back and say that I did with my life? What? Like work for a company for mm-hmm. what? Building for what? Yeah. And I I couldn't and then I, I ended up working in the sales office in in the hotel as well. And I was like, I can't sit in front of a computer for eight hours a day. Like I have to, I'm going to throw this thing out the window. Like I have to give, I have to take, I have to feel like I'm making a difference, making a change. And I had such incredible teachers and people in my life who impacted me mm-hmm. that I really feel helped mold me to who I am today that I was like, okay, if they say that I'm good with kids and I'd want to give kids and instill in them things that people instilled in me, mm-hmm. that's what I want to leave. That's what... I would, at the end of my life to look back and be like, I helped someone else become yeah. something more than who they thought they were today. And so I went for my teaching degree. I started teaching. I taught at a private school, a charter school. And then, of course, I kind of was like, oh, I want to like be a principal. I want to like create a whole school where kids love coming and people love coming to work. 
And so I was an aspiring assistant principal and then I became an assistant principal and then I was aspiring principal and then I became principal. And then through all these 10 years, the last 10, 12 years, mm-hmm. I've learned a collaborative problem solving approach to use with kids when they're having a challenging behavior. And it really, really like worked. And I had struggled trying to get a kid to like, tell me what really is going on. And when I learned this process, I ended up using it as an assistant principal. So I might be jumping ahead of myself and what you asked me, but uh, I, and that's what's gotten me now into really helping and teaching parents because I'm like, if if I learned it, like you can learn Mm -hmm. it. You don't have to feel helpless when your kid has a tantrum or a meltdown. And like, everyone's like, where's the book on my kid? I need the (laughs) book on my kid. Right. And there is none. But if, if, to me, if this is like a magical process because it gets a kid to really open up about mm-hmm. why they did what they did. Like I am I'm so excited to have your perspective being a principal because principals are special people. You do have a way of dealing good principals have a way of dealing with students that's effective. And I have a cousin who's gonna be a principal. She is so that mindset. And I, I used to work as a vice principal for a private school overseas. Uh, and the one principal that I was working with, I was in awe of her every single day. And we, we were dealing with teenagers, 16, 17 year olds, but she at one point had gotten the most rebellious students on our trip overseas to admit that they had been purchasing marijuana, smoking marijuana, gambling, this whole gamut of illegal bad stuff. And they just were so forthcoming with all of this information to her because of, I don't know what, and this, this is no what way. I'm excited to pick your brain about today. How, oh. how do you deal with this? Because you talk about mindfulness. And when I think about mindfulness and parenting, I think of mindfulness only in the sense that it helps me keep calm when dealing with the kids. And I'm sure that's part of it. But, but how do you apply that to behavioral problems? Okay, so it's kind of twofold because we've taught our students Two years ago, we brought a mindfulness coach in and taught kids mindfulness lessons, thinking, seeing, using your senses, sitting quietly with our chime, taking a deep breath. And then she taught us like different breath activities. So because we taught the kids all of that, now, if and when they come to my office upset, I literally will say to them, do you want to do the ball breath or the finger breath? So they choose and choice is everything for kids. I always tell parents, give them two choices that you're okay with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't yeah. give them a choice you're not okay with because <laughs> you don't want them to choose that. But but give them choices, even as simple as like, do you want to use the purple pen or the, or the green pen to write? Like that simple, that makes them feel like they're in control. They, they want to feel like they're in control of something. So mm-hmm. always give them the choice. The ball breath is when you put your fingertips together like this. I like that. So you make you make a ball shape essentially. If yeah, if you're listening, you're not seeing this. You put all your fingertips together, kind of like making a ball with your fingertips touching. And when you breathe in, you expand your fingers out, enlarging that ball. Ready? And then when you breathe out, you bring your fingertips back together. And kids really, really like this. It's called the ball breath. Okay. So here's one way we teach kids to take a deep breath when they are upset or they are taking a test Mm -hmm. and they get frustrated and they're like, I don't know the answer to the question. Do your ball breath, come back, 
and kids self-reported that Mm -hmm. like it helped them. The finger breath is my favorite. I think because it forces me to take five deep breaths. (laughs) And if you just put out your hand, your one, your put out your left hand and with the finger of your other hand, you just start at the bottom of your thumb and go up breathing in. And as you go down the thumb, you're just tracing your fingers, you breathe out. And then when you go up the next finger, you breathe in. This is relaxing. (laughs) Karen, I like this. I love this. I will do this. I will come back to my office, sit and do this. My secretary has walked in on me doing this because (laughs) I just need to take a moment. So you teach kids this, Mm -hmm. parents, you learn this, you, you practice it. Your kids see you modeling it. Like I was just doing a parent call the other day and we taught the parents this and the kids, well, they go to my schools. They already had learned it as well. (laughs) And the mom was like, I went in the other room. I was sitting there doing my ball breath and my kid walked in and I saw them out of the corner of my eye and they just turned around and walked out. Like they oh, respected wow. that their mom needed a moment. Like that's They know what it means. Huge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I do with kids who come in upset. And what I teach parents in the in my whole, I call it happy kids, not perfect kids course, that we will never talk to our kids when we are not calm and in control of our body first. Mm. That is the first step and the biggest lesson to practice, practice, practice. It's not easy for us. It doesn't come naturally. We've done it so many different ways our entire life, right? No, no, rarely have people talked to us mm-hmm. <laughs> with their upset at us yeah. and they're calm and in control of their body. But that is the first and most important thing to practice. The second thing is to then um, wait to talk to your child till they're calm and in control of their body. Right. And kids, you can't make them calm down any faster than they are going to calm down. Now, yes, are the situations when you're like, we got to get in the car, I've got a meeting, we've got to go. Yes, that's when you you said it, they have to do it, and life just has to go on. Mm-hmm. But in those instances where you can take the time, you really have to let them calm down on their own. And in my course, we go through like different ways of what that could look like and what that sounds like. And then when they're calm, and only when they're calm, I mean, um, Alex, it, teachers would bring kids in from recess mm-hmm. because they had kicked a kid or did something unexpected. I like saying unexpected because yeah. misbehavior is like, well, what is that? What does that mean? But, oh, that was a little unexpected. Everyone is kind of like, oh, okay. I just know it wasn't expected. And and they would be like have them sent to the principal's office. And I'm like, A, they're snotting and crying and they can't even tell you their name because they're so upset. Nobody can when you're in that freaked out mode, mm-hmm. I call it. Your lid is flipped. And I would be like, they go to lunch and when they're calm and control their body, I talked to them after that and they would get so it, w- it was hard for them because they were like, that kid did something wrong and they need to know that they did it wrong. Right. Well, actually I have a different viewpoint of that. I believe every kid who does something wrong really knows it inside and mm-hmm. it's not my job to make you feel worse. So <laughs> Alex, yeah. I was a really bad kid when I was growing up. <laughs> I lied. I'm not kidding. <laughs> so bad. When I was in elementary school, I lied. I cheated. I stole things. But the, like, yeah, you know the inner psyche then. It helps you with your work. See, that's good. I might prefer a principal who was a liar and a cheater. Alex, I I feel those kids mm-hmm. and I will never make them feel worse because I knew what it was like to feel yeah. worse and I hated it. Mm-hmm. And that is not my job or my responsibility. And and sometimes that's hard for us because we want them to somehow show remorse for what they did. Yeah. But even if they're not showing it, I, I really utterly and truly believe that they really, they really feel it inside. So now what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And then that's where I come in with empathy. And I, I call it my elevator tone of voice. 
no emotion. That's why we have to get calm and in control of our bodies Mm -hmm. before we talk to our kid. We've got to get to that empathetic tone of voice, the the elevator tone of voice. So what I say to a kid in that situation is I will say, um, I noticed or I heard because maybe I heard what happened on the playground and I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Or maybe if you're a parent and you saw what your child did, then you would use the phrase, I noticed. So it's either I heard or I noticed. And then you just say whatever without judgment, right? Like, it's so hard for us, Mm -hmm. but you just got to say it like, I heard you kick the kid on the playground. Like, and then you ask this magical question, what's up with that? And you wait and you, you wait. And it's that impregnable pause that none of us are comfortable with. But when you start doing this, the more you do it, the more you'll get used to it. Mm-hmm. And actually your child needs to get used to it because they're not even used to us acting like yeah. this, right? So they just sort of stare at you. When Lucy, my eldest, she's three and a half, and when she has her moments of, you, you know, the periods of the most misbehavior, I'd say, it's when I am not myself and how I deal with things. I'm usually very patient and calm, but I, I was recently dealing with postpartum rage. And not that I would, like, I, I wouldn't be, yeah, I yelled at her once. Uh, or like for like there was like a period of like three days where I was yelly and that's so uncharacteristic and in that it it didn't make her behave better it made her behave worse in the days and weeks that followed so I, I think that is so important to you know get control of our own mind in our own body before dealing with the kids because kids get their backup and everything is modeled like you said and I thought it was such a good point about the mom doing the the finger ball what is it finger ball uh ball breath ball breath so the mother doing the ball breath and the kid recognizing that and walking out it's because they're modeling that they're destigmatizing needing a second and, and that's so powerful I think there's so much to that oh oh it's it's amazing and remember this our kids are mirrors of us so we're escalated, they're going to escalate. And it happens. We know. We know when to raise their voice. Nothing ever happens. We had international students uh, that we hosted for like 10 years. And they would get in the car late for school. And I would like knock on their door. I'd be like, come on. It's 7.01. Come on. We got to go. Are you in the car? Get your shoes. We all know the whole routine, right? Mm-hmm. And I'd get in the car. And my gosh, it'd probably be like 30 seconds. And it was just like, that's 30 seconds way too late. Like, don't, you know, I have to go to work. Don't you know, I have a meeting with the teacher. Don't you know? Like, mm-hmm. and so I, you know, we all, we all feel it like the stress rising, the heart racing, you know, and, and, and sure enough, one day I yelled at him and I was like, hey, you know, cause we always regret it, Yeah. but they are going to be a mirror of us. So if that helps you think of it that way, I really love that analogy. And so I say to the kid, like, I you could take a simple analogy of the kid getting the car in the morning. I noticed you were late getting the car this morning. What's up with that? Wow. What a different place to come from, right? And usually they don't know what to say because they're not used to us asking them that. And they just sort of look at you and stare and stare for, it seems like forever, <laughs> or they shrug, they shrug their shoulders or they say, I don't know. Yeah. And, and, and this is my fun I love this question back that I've, that I've learned over the years. If you did know, what would you say? And they're just, and they just look at you like, what are you talking? (laughs) It is so funny. And then, and then they shrug the shoulders again and they say, I don't know. And I go back to, I noticed, or I heard, you know, 
this morning I noticed you, you, you were like in the car and you just start, start with that question again. What's up with that? And you, you keep just going back to those questions till they finally come out with something. Mm-hmm. And it can take like seconds. That feels like an eternity, but that is where the gold is mm-hmm. because behind every behavior, there is a story. Mm-hmm. I love that. I learned that from one of my guests I had on my podcast Behind every behavior, there's a story. And this gets to the story. Why did they really do what they did? And then it's either a skill they need to be taught or a problem to be solved. And I have spent most of my time working on problems to be solved area. So that's what I do mostly in my course. So then you get the kids that then right now, the kid's going to tell you their concern. Mm -hmm. It's going to come out. Like one kid barreled into the class in the morning and the teacher called me. He just barreled right through and mm-hmm. probably, you know, bumped a kid and and then I'm called. So he he's crying because now the principal's coming and this is ter- right. It's terrifying. Course, he's in trouble. It's scary. So we just go and sit outside the classroom. We have a little area set up where they mm-hmm. just it's like a little relax area. And I just sat there and I didn't say anything. And don't ever stare at your kid like when you're waiting for them to calm down because we don't even like it when someone stares at us. Think about it, right? So I always, I've learned this. You always just keep them in your peripheral. So they're right there and you're just you're just doing your thing, looking at your watch, looking at the wall, whatever, whatever you, you could be doing. And only when they're calm and stop their crying and, and, and sometimes you need them to do something else and then come back to it. And then you just set your timer on your phone, which is what I do so you don't forget. But they need to really get they just get it all out of their system. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that there's an example where I said to him, like, oh, I heard you barreled into the class this morning and kind of like, we're knocking the kids over. Like, wow, what was up with that? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. Oh, if you did know, like, what would you say? Oh, sometimes I add, there's no right or wrong answer. Mm-hmm. Just, what, what's up with that? What's, or what's going on? Maybe that's more comfortable for people. I like what's up with that. Do you know that he ended up telling me that his dad must have rushed him eating breakfast that morning. Probably his voice was a little elevated, possibly. And he was just, he was still upset from that. <laughs> so, A, are you hungry? Do we need to get you something to eat, right? Or how can we take care of you? And then I love asking the question, like, what can we do to make this right? Because mm-hmm. so-and-so, hmm, they might not be feeling so great over there. And you let them come up with how they want to solve that problem of fixing what they just did that yeah. kind of was not so great. Yeah. Uh, and then the problem solving process has a couple steps to it, but I know I'm talking a lot. So no, 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 that's okay. And in that in leveling with students, and I have a lot of experience with high school students. I don't have a lot of experience with young kids, which I have, and I have less patience for young kids, which is so frustrating to me because I'm like, I'm so patient with the older ones. No patience when it comes to little ones and and it's always been like that it's always been difficult but i mean give me a rude mouthy high school kid and i can level with them and you know just work something out get better get over our problems but it's so much more difficult with a kid and you know with lucy so i have a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old lucy and betty Lucy, when she gets frustrated at Betty, she'll go over to her and she'll she'll just go, Ugh! and it's like she like shakes her hands. You could see her anger physically, and it, and she, it, her whole body quakes, and she's got her hands beside Betty's head, like out here, and it's like she just wants to squish her and out of her anger. So it's hard for her to carry on 
unless she's had that moment. She kind of needs to get the anger out and then you maybe she'll have another reaction and then she'll go on. So I've been trying to teach her strategies and I, I saw a thing with tapping and it's like you, you start tapping all over, tapping your chest, tapping your face. And I think that's quite relaxing. I was doing it with her and I, I thought it was relaxing. But I, I, I'm curious about how to actually implement this or any strategy like that as a thing. Because like she just thought it was funny when we were doing the tapping. And then beyond maybe two times, I never have seen her tapping. And I'll try to remember it. But what else can I do as a parent to help implement these strategies? So I put together, I actually videotaped myself teaching the mindfulness lessons that we taught our kids at school. Oh, nice. And they're on my website. And if you go on my website under my blog on the right-hand side, mm-hmm. click, click the free one for kids and see what you think of it. Because I'm curious if she would watch it mm-hmm. and if she would learn it the way we taught our five-year-olds at school to 11-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And that's why I created them because not everybody has a mindfulness coach that they can just pull up without their pockets. <laughs> their kids this, right? You know what I mean? Well, and some of us want to do it, but we don't know how to like do it. Right. And so I created these videos. So like, actually maybe, you know, what's so funny, Alex, one day a kid was upset. They were sent to my office. I guess the class won an award. He missed it because he was bad. And somehow he came with another friend. And usually the other friend is the one always upset. Well, the other friend goes, you need to just do your breasts with Dr. J. Aww. And I was like, that's how much they, they know and they've done it and they experienced mm-hmm. how much it works. Well, I looked at the kid and I was like, do you want, I did what I just told you. Do you want to do the ball breath or the finger breath? He's like, oh, oh, like, and he was just crying. And I had just created one of my videos. So I pulled out my little iPad and I'm like, okay, here, let's watch the video of it. We're going to watch the video doing, doing the same thing. I was just going to do live with mm-hmm. you, but you know, that kid starts breathing, following along. I'm like, this is the same thing I was going to do, but you're watching on a screen and now mm-hmm. you will do it. And, 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 and sometimes it removes the, you're mad at me. You're standing right there to that is an objective thing that not, that is not mad at me and I can follow it. And it, he, it was amazing. And I even put that video on my YouTube channel. Cause I was like, this was the most amazing thing. This kid calmed down, not because of me, because of the video, yeah. like, Hey, I'll take anything like mm-hmm. to get it to work. So I'm curious if you even did the lessons with her. Yeah. I mean, this was incredible, Alex. This lady came for, for eight weeks. She taught them 15 minutes once a week, these lessons that I have on the videos. And at the end of the, the six weeks or eight weeks, she took a survey of the second through fifth graders. Do you know that 40% self-reported that they slept better at night? A number of them said that they could do their tests. They did better on their tests. They felt more calm. They felt more calm at school. They thought this should be taught to other kids. Parents were contacting me saying, my kid is coming home, teaching it to their sibling, asking me if I'm feeling okay, because maybe I need to do a ball breath. <laughs> like you can't even get your kids to tell you what they learned in school that day. Yeah. And they were self-sharing like uh, a first grader. Okay. That's only six years old, Alex, right? Mom emails me saying she's in a swim meet. The the coach is pretty loud. It's, it's, there's a lot going on. She gets a little anxious and she was, she had a swim meet uh, weekend or whatever. And she looked over and her daughter was doing her breaths and just went out there and nailed her swim meet. And the mom was like, if you see a step, uh, she's got a bounce at her step today. Thanks for <laughs> mindfulness Mondays or whatever it was that yeah. we did. Like these kids really like 
it was incredible. Soaked it up. Like I'm still amazed and all. And that's why I was like, I have to commit myself to this work because there's something here. This is a proactive approach. I keep looking for more uh, mental health supports to come into Mm -hmm. schools. They're not coming. No. And when we did this and I saw the data from the kids self-reporting and then the parents feedback, I was like, I can't not do this. No, I, I, I think it's amazing. And, you know, I've seen you talk about connection versus correction and connection over correction. And I think that de- de- connection in a few ways, you know, judging by what you're telling me here, it's like connection between you and the students or a parent and the child and showing that, hey, like, I'm still here for you. I'm not going to come down, you know, just slam the law in your face. I'm here I want to know what's wrong with you. I want to know why you did this and I want to help you through it. And I, I think of that as opposed to like my dad, you know, doing something wrong when he was in school and getting the strap. It's like they don't care about the kids. And then I think the connection that you develop as the adult in charge with the kid helps them then to connect with themselves and connect to their own emotions because that is something even when I was in school that – Nobody did. And until I had to go to seek a therapist for postpartum rage, I even and I know like this is it's kind of embarrassing to admit, but I had stigma about mental health in certain ways, you know, and this is mental health. This is all mental health. And when people aren't connected to their own mental health, then it's hard to correct your own behavior. It's hard to recognize your own behavior as being bad or not being, you know, maybe the best way that you can act in a situation. And I I think that is so crucial and so possible to do. Oh my God, with kids at every age. Yeah. And that's why it's funny. Like people are like, you're such, you're so not like the normal ideal principal. Like you're so nice. (laughs) Usually my principal was so mean. We were scared of her. And I have such a flipped approach where Mm -hmm. no one is scared to come to my office. And if they were, when they come, they walk away and they are never scared again. And I never liked being scared. Like I didn't like that. Why should I, why does it have to be that way? And that's why when I learned this approach, it's so synced with what I felt like, yes, this is the way it should be. Yeah. And I love something you said, oh, I just lost it. Darn it. I love it. I get a thought <laughs> and then it goes, it'll come back. That's okay. Oh, you, you were talking about correction. Before. Connect Connection over correction. Yeah. That, so yeah. here's another amazing story that when I was an assistant principal and I think because I was kind of like a bad kid growing up, <laughs> kind of have a heart for the underdog. So of if course, I know yeah. a kid's not doing well, like, I don't know, I just do want to do something to make them feel better because, you know, the bad kids somehow sometimes get that bad rap. Of course. Well, yeah. what I started doing was, well, I, I read the book Leader in Me by Stephen Covey, well-known author. He has a book called Leader in Me. Now some schools are Leader in Me schools. And he talks about how the, we are a leader inside of all of us. Someone is always watching you, no matter who you are, where you are, someone's always watching you. And in that book, he taught me, he teaches us, and I really latched onto this. Find the kids in the school that really struggle the most with the most behavior referrals is what I did and find leadership opportunities where they can excel. And all of a sudden, the kids who were sitting in the office who were in trouble were now the greeters for my tours, telling parents all about the school. And they became like the mayor of the of the school because that was what they were good at. Yeah. We just 
only heard of the bad stuff that they were good at because that's what you kind of tend to hear. And so um, then I ended up having lunch and playing Uno with all the bad kids in the school every week because I wanted them to look forward to something Mm -hmm. in the week because most of the things they did it was they were in trouble or they couldn't pull themselves mm-hmm. together and do this thing we call school. And so it, even one day a teacher, bless the teachers, it is a t- tough job and it's hard when it feels like kids are doing things personally to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's real this this is also really hard, like like it is for parenting at times. And they were like, You're not rewarding them, are you? And I was like, Oh no, this is an intervention. Like I had to make up stuff because it looked like we were rewarding the bad kids. Right. But if you if you can put a mirror in front of a kid to show them something else of who they really are, their mistakes and the bad things they do does not have to uh, be the thing that they become one day. It can put, we don't want them on that trajectory mm-hmm. and we have the power to change that. And that's what this process does. It te- I, I love telling kids this, you didn't, you're not bad. What you did was a little unexpected but you're not bad. And I felt bad as a kid when I mm-hmm. did something bad. I felt like I was, that's low self-esteem, that low self-confidence. Mm-hmm. I never want a kid to face that and feel that way. Yes, there's a consequence. And unfortunately, this is what it's going to be because that's part of life. But but we learn through it all, especially, and then maybe in a few minutes, I'll get I'll explain that collaborative problem-solving approach. Yeah, no, and I, I, I would love to know that. But before we get there, and maybe this can be integrated, I don't know. Do you think kids are having a harder time today? I mean, there's so many things, pandemic, coming out of lockdown. I just think of the struggles. Like one thing that I like to talk about is the fact that, you know, 80% of girls at the by the age of 13 have distorted an image of themselves online because of beauty standards, because of low self-confidence. And there's so many factors that really make me ache for this generation. Uh, I, I don't think my generation had it easy. It was like the beginning of cell phones and um, video chatting and things like that. And a lot of bad stuff came from that. It, a lot of really terrible bully stuff came from that. And now it's just so much easier. There are so many more avenues. And then again with the pandemic. So do you think kids now are having a tougher time or do you think it's comparable? No, I think it's I think they're having a tougher time with this pandemic and mm-hmm. with the social isolation yeah. when we were remote for so long. So Dr. Michelle Borba, I had her on my podcast. She's oh, written like 27 books. We've had her. You know her? She's great. Yeah. Unselfie. She She's wrote the awesome. book Unselfie, which I bought for my entire staff. How do you help a kid live sympathetic in an all about me world? Well, who isn't that? I mean, I don't know when she wrote that, but it was like probably 10 years ago. So she just published a book last year in March called Thrivers. Why do some kids thrive and why some don't when they both go through trauma and difficult times in life? So that just published last year from a 40-year uh, data pool uh, from another person that she took their pretty much model took their study from. But she herself, Michelle Borba, interviewed like hundreds of teenagers mm-hmm. across the US over the last couple of years, pre-pandemic. Alex, they were reporting such high self-reports of wanting wanting to like like commit suicide mm-hmm. like we're just a number nobody treats us as a person we're just a test score we just have to work hard and 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 get into the good schools like 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 even they were starving yeah. and suffering right so so i want to point out that like we got to a bad point pre-pandemic now 
someone asked me on, on the show the other day, what's one problem you're trying to solve in the world? And I said, to get every kid a mentor slash guidance counselor. Mm-hmm. Like we all need our personal yeah. like, cheerleader, supporter. You got this. Oh man, that was really hard. Okay. We can do like these kids need, 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 need people like Absolutely. that in their life, like over time. And, and if you ask anybody these days to try to find a therapist, like they're, they're overbooked. They don't have any opening. <laughs> you can't, you can't see anybody. And it costs so a ton of money. <laughs> it costs a ton of money. So that's why I love my mindfulness that I'm trying to reach and share to more people to teach our kids these strategies and tools. And you can use them as your, I use it myself. The kids see me using it. That's cool. And then with this cloud problem solving approach, what do you do when your, your, your emotions are high and you, we know that they're mirroring us, but you, mm-hmm. you're having a hard time, you know, calming yourself down. And so that's why I put together this six week um, live course, because then parents, we talk about one thing and I say, go do it right. this week, go try that. And they come back with stories, what worked, what didn't work. And we're running another one. And they're like, I'm coming to the next one. Why? Because they just need someone to break it down for them, mm-hmm. make it easy, make it simple, make them feel like they're not alone. You're not the only one going through this. And that seems to be what people like are really drawn to mm-hmm. right now. Like nobody's time to read a book. So where's the, where's the conference on parenting? Where's parent university? Right. Right. So I, it's almost like this is turning into that because we've got to, we've got to give these parents these tools Absolutely. so they can help themselves. Cause if they're not, if they don't, I mean, one of our pr- first whole sessions is on self-care mom, dad, parent, guardian, if you're not taking a moment to take care of yourself, mm-hmm. to be at your best, we won't show up and be the best for our kids. And that is a whole work of itself. If you, I mean, when I grew up, well, no, that, that's like selfish. You don't, that's, no, I, that's selfish. <laughs> exactly. Don't do that, right? Yeah. So even my psyche and, and we force the parents on my, on my parent group. We're like, okay, what did you do this week? Mm-hmm. What did you do this week? We're going to talk about it next week. You got to come up with something mm-hmm. just to get into the practice of it. Because if you're like me, I don't practice that. And I know I need to, and it's good. And then I'm like, Oh, I did that. Like, yeah, anyway, that's all right, Karen, I'm going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by Mini Miosh. They're a premium, organic, ethically made and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Mini Miosh believes in quality over quantity and they make, I am telling you, the best basics for your littles fashionable wardrobe staples that are soft, comfy, and timeless and can be passed from child to child regardless of gender. Their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low-impact, non-toxic dyes. Mini Miosh is on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it, and they believe that every little bit counts. So you can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytree15, you're getting 15% off of your order. This is available in Canada and in the US. And again, that is minimiosh.com and this family tree 15. And we are also supported by True Earth. If you listen to our podcast, you know Shane and I are trying to reduce our environmental footprint. It's something that we've taken on and are trying to get really serious about. And one way we're doing this is through eliminating single-use plastics in our household. But with two kids and lots of laundry between the four of us, our laundry room has become a plastic detergent bottle graveyard. So we discovered True Earth Eco Strips a few months ago and have not looked back. The detergent comes in pre-measured soluble strips, which you simply rip apart. Maybe you want to double up for a big stinky load and you put them in your washer. It is so easy. 
And the best part, obviously, no plastic. The packaging is so compact. And because of that, it actually makes our laundry room super tidy. Plus, as a family with kids who have really sensitive skin, we go for the baby detergent. It's fragrance-free, gentle on everybody's skin, and is so tough on dirt. Our clothes come out smelling great and crispy clean. So check out True Earth Detergent at true.earth and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 to get 10% off your order. You will love this product. Take my word for it. Again, that is true.earth and thisfamilytree10. And now let's get back to our interview with Karin. You know, you, you talk about connection and we talk about these strategies for coping and for de-escalating. But you've mentioned a couple times problem solving, uh, and we didn't really get into that. But I'd like to know what your problem solving technique is, because I, I feel like so many things could fit under that umbrella. And I even have a hard time solving problems and thinking, how are we not going to do this anymore? And, you know, really, really kind of getting down to it. So I use it the most when the kids are in trouble or upset or peer conflict is a great one. I resolve peer conflict with kids at school with. So the next time your kid has a problem, try this out. First, you're going to be wait till you're calm. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to not talk to them till they're calm. Hey, I noticed or I heard and just say whatever it is that you heard or noticed. What's up with that? And you give them that space to share their concern. But then, and then you, you bring in that empathy of, oh, that, that, that must've been really hard. Oh, mm -hmm. that sounds really difficult. You're not agreeing with them, but they do need to hear you validate, right? How many times did we get that growing up? Mm, zilch, I don't think so. Right. But that's, what's so powerful about this. You're validating their feelings in that situation with their concern. And then you get to put your concern on the table. Well, you know, at school, you know, we learn about being kind and, kindness is X, Y, and Z or whatever it is, or, mm -hmm. or whatever it is you do in your family. We all know what we want them to do. Like, Hey, and then you, if it's the problem to be solved, then you, you literally ask them like, what do you think we could do to solve this problem? And then there's that impregnable pause because they're not used to thinking they're used to us telling them everything we want them to do and think. So you got to like, hold your tongue. And then they look at you and they're like, I don't know. Hmm. what's one thing we could do to solve this problem? If you did know, what would you say? And really the whole purpose of this is to get them to come up with a solution. There was a kid in, in one school years ago running around the room during the time the teacher was doing reading group. She's like, he won't sit down. He won't, he, I need him to be quiet. Da, 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 da. So I did this whole approach with him. Do you know what he said when I said, what do you think we could do to solve this problem? He said, let me wear earphones it's too loud in the room mm. and whatever, they, whatever they say, don't judge them <laughs> <laughs> as, as hard as it is literally just be open about it and be like, okay, so you think if you tried headphones, you would sit down, be quiet. Cause I'm teaching, I'm working a small group. There's not time to talk to the teacher. And sometimes I say, sometimes they come up with the most cockamamie ideas, but if you're okay with it, try it. But so often, we're so quick to say our opinion. Well, mm -hmm. that won't work. And, and you got to just let all that go. And really, ideally, they want you to come up with three solutions, which to me is really, really hard. I, yeah, I, I like, I've got a kid to come up with one and maybe two. Because the whole idea is you try one. If it works, great. Awesome. You solve that problem. On to the next problem. If it doesn't work, you kind of come back and you're like, wow, what do you think about that? Hmm. I don't know. That's, that didn't seem to work so well. Like, what else could we do differently? And it's really hard 
hard for kids to pro- like come up with a solution. It, it's it's hard. So you, you really want them to because then they have the buy-in, yeah. right? They came up with it. They own it, that ownership. There's responsibility. If, if you have to support them a little bit and kind of come up with an idea, mm-hmm. but it has to be an idea that you're okay with too. And if it's not an idea you're okay with, then try to compromise it so that you can work out something where you kind of come to a medium, mm-hmm. right? And then that's how you, you know, we had a kid in middle school who wouldn't do his homework. What's up with that? Well, my mom has a TV on. I don't really have a spot to sit. Okay, what do you think we should solve that problem? Maybe I asked mom to turn the TV down. Wow, that's a great idea. Let's try that. Maybe I could clean my desk off. Maybe if I work in my bedroom, maybe I'll get something done. Over time, this kid started doing homework. We got him a book bag. And, and because we treated him like this with such respect, he actually like gained more self-confidence in himself. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we have no idea what these kids are going through or what's happening. And this approach is that empathetic kind of comes behind you. Let's figure this out. Let's try something. And man, as adults, we we appreciate when people treat us that way, right? Even if we just think of it like that, like the kids are are individuals and they have have feelings. I know they're kids and we tell them what to do. And if you're in my era, we grew up like kids should be seen and not heard. Like that's how I grew mm-hmm. up. But this really is different because you're kind of giving your child some voice here. But look at the skill you're teaching them and problem solving is a skill we want them to have for the rest of their life. And you're starting to build it now, mom, dad, parent, guardian. Wow. So, so incredible. Well, it's huge. And there's so many other things that go along with that. It's not just problem solving that you're teaching them. It's self-advocacy. If a kid is saying, hey, mom, turn that, can you turn that TV down? I, I, I need to do homework. Advocating for their education. If they're telling you as their principal, ooh, I think I need headphones because it's too distracting or too noisy. They're advocating for their own needs, for their education, for their mental well-being. And there is so much that comes into that, which I I love. I love. And just them co-creating the, you know, what they need to do to to get better, the solutions, that, again, is so important because it's teaching them problem-solving but then it's also teaching them how to work with somebody else. And it, it, there's so much in it, so much. Yeah, yeah. And you're modeling, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're modeling that calm behavior, non-judgmental yeah. tone. That's what we want kids to use when they're talking to their friends and interacting mm-hmm. with their, their, their classmates, right? We don't want them bossing kids around. Yeah demeaning them, talking down on them. Mm-hmm. But how often, like, you know, they kind of, then they don't always see good models, I'll say, on TV and YouTube and all those things like that. But but they sh- hopefully we can be those models, especially we as educators, we're with them, especially teachers, we're with them mm-hmm. so many more hours in a day than they are with their family, if you think yeah. about it, right? That is a powerful influence. Yeah. And, you know, I think about affirmations too in the realm of mindfulness. And that's something that, you know, I'll do with my, my oldest daughter at, at bedtime. And we have the same thing. And you know, I always tell her at night and then sometimes she'll say it to me or sometimes she'll just stand there proudly as I do the affirmation with her. Um, but I want to know your thoughts on, you know, affirmations in the school system, if there's a place for that. And I, I would like to hear your favorite affirmation. Yeah. So actually, 
before we got into mindfulness two years ago, about three years before that, our previous principal went to a training and came back and taught kids to say affirmations like, I am kind, using their touch points of their finger to their thumb. So I, each time they say a word, they touch the next finger to their thumb. I am peaceful. I am brilliant. I am, and she kind of like taught, taught, taught the school that we kind of like went through like a phase of kind of doing those kinds of things in a way. Mm. And then one of my paraprofessionals, uh, when I became principal, gave me a CD called 101 Powerful Affirmations by Louise Hay. I don't know if you've heard of Louise Hay. I don't know. No. I, I absolutely fell in love with this lady. I would listen to this CD on the way to work and on the way home, and it would lift me out of the negative and the stress and the, oh, there's another problem here, and a teacher needs help with that, and a kid can't do it. Like all that just weighs on me as, as a principal or just parent, whatever, whoever you are, anywhere, anything stress is weighing on all of us. Mm-hmm. And, she, and, it, and she just repeats these different affirmations over and over and over, but all different ones. There's 101 of them, which is crazy. It's on YouTube. <laughs> Well, then my, my paraprofessional was like, look, she wrote a picture book for kids. And I was like, give me that book. And I, I, I will, I need to work hard to try to get that book for every kid in the entire world, because it's called, I think I am by Louise Hay. And she takes situations that kids naturally go in, in a school age um, time period of their life and flips it around to show them the positive in it. And it's like, I always lose my sweater. I always forget something. I'm always forgetting something. Wait, I choose to see the good mm-hmm. or I, I don't have a memory off the top of my head, but that book. So then I started reading that book as a read aloud to classes. And one day in a fourth grade class, two of the kids said, Dr. J, you should read one of these affirmations on the announcements every morning. And so, because, and that came out of them, which I just absolutely love. And to me, it's just the most beautiful thing. So for a whole year, we would say it as a school. a different affirmation on the announcements every day. And then we heard about this mindfulness coach and then we brought the mindfulness in. And then like, that's what I call our mindfulness journey. And it's all on, on, um, Mm. on my YouTube channel. I started one called mindfulness with Dr. J and it tells the whole story of this because it really happened so organically. And so this is my favorite. Okay. I did steal it from Louise Hay, but it has really helped me in some of my most difficult moments. And it is, I am safe in the universe and all life loves and supports me. Hmm. Life loves me. I love that. And I never thought of life that way before I read that affirmation to the point where literally one time I was driving home and I was low on gas and there was traffic like bumper to bumper. And I didn't think I was going to make it to the gas station. And again, like the heat's rising in my throat and I'm like, (laughs) all these thoughts, I'm going to get stuck on the road. I won't be able to get anywhere. You know, whatever you put yourself in your most stressful situation. This was just a silly one. And you know what I did, Alex? I pulled out that affirmation and I said it over and over and over and over and over. And it took me out of that situation. And I wasn't stressed and actually made it to the gas station. Well, what do they say? Half the things in life you, you're anxious or afraid about never really happen, <laughs> right? It's all, it's all between here and our mind. And the affirmations really helped me out. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it, it, it puts a lot of pressure on educators, but there is that amazing opportunity to help build self-confidence, self-esteem, peace, clarity in students because, again, you are with them so much. And a lot of students, as as you would know, especially being a principal, do not come from homes where this is 
you know, something that they do or something that they discuss or where they're made to feel loved and valued. And I, I think that's amazing. And, and more schools do need to start. I, I think they a lot of them are. And I know that a lot of principals do make the effort to make all their students feel valued. And I mean, if parents could be doing this at home too, then it'd be a perfect marriage of just, you know, the students getting it from everywhere. But I, the, the book is called I Think I Am. Yeah. I like, so she's even taken from Descartes. That's a, I think therefore I am is Rene Descartes. <laughs> They're learning philosophy too. Look, it's see, <laughs> it's multifaceted. So Alex, this is my idea. I've thought about it for a year and I really just need to do it. And in mm-hmm. my parenting course, pretty much the parents asked me for it is to do like an after school activity where I do a mindfulness lesson with the kids. And if I do it in person, I could also have it on zoom for kids who are remote or virtually Skyping in. And that's what my parents have asked me to do. And I'm like, I have to do this. And I thought about it for like a year and I could just see, I could just see it just taking over. I could just see parents, you know, I, I don't even know that something like this exists for kids. And, no. and how powerful would this be, right? Yeah, I think that'd be amazing. And I think you should do it. Yeah. I yeah, think you I, I am. I am <laughs> going to do it. Good. I am just, I, I am going to do it. I'm going to do it this year, this this January. I'm going to start it. I'm going to pilot it, whatever. And I have, we have got to help our kids. This is, mm-hmm. this is a, a I, I, I call it like proactive therapy. I don't know how else to call it. Like you're giving your kids kid tools. I wish I had them as a kid. Oh my gosh. The, the low self-confidence and low self-worth I dealt with growing up because of just stuff and not mm-hmm. knowing how to deal with it or handle it. It's, it's been a long, hard road. I mean, I, sometimes I see kids at school and I'm like, they have more confidence than I do. Gosh, darn it. Like what's, what's up with that? So anyway, slowly I'm getting there, but I, this stuff is so valuable that I just cannot not commit the rest of my life to bringing it to more kids and bringing this process to more parents, because there's so much wholeness to it. It's just, there's, it's just so right. It, it, it it works and it values, it keeps, Mm -hmm. keeps the respect there between the parent, the child, the teacher, I mean, that's, that's the kind of society we want. That's, that's the kind of people I want to show up at work with parents. That's what I know you want to raise your kids Mm -hmm. to be. I love, I always future pace this to parents. And I'm like, imagine your kid on a stage one day telling their story to thousands and thousands of people. And they were like, I struggled with this without when I was a kid and I was X, Y, and Z, but my mom helped me or my mom was there and she always believed in me. She always helped me see how I could learn from this. And like, wow, that's, that's how it can be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's how it it will be. It's powerful. It's powerful. And and I could see just in speaking with you that this is so much more than a career. It's so much more than what you want to do. It's, it's a vocation and you're, you're called to do it in a powerful way. And I, I so respect that. And Karen, where can listeners go to find you online, your courses, anything that you do, where can they go to find the hub? So I would send you to my website. It's kind of a mouthful. So check <laughs> check Alex's notes to click on her link, educationalimpactacademy.com, www.educationalimpactacademy.com. Right on the front page, if you love every, anything that you're hearing me say, put your email address in, which will subscribe you to my email list, and you get my free video course on three steps to happy, healthy kids, which is the 
exact process I just shared with you. So I break it down again so you could like really get it, learn it step by step. And then you'll be on my email list when I come out with my next six-week course. They Now my parents want me to run it again. So I might make it like a mastermind, like Momnificent Mastermind. Because if it's easier for you to remember on my podcast, my podcast name is Momnificent because moms are magnificent. It's not the only you know, people that listen to it, but it's such a beautiful name. It is. I and, like it. Uh, I mean, I have a grandfather who follows me and oh. listens for his grandkids. So it is for any and all people who work with kids. But um, so my podcast, Momnificent, my website, educationalimpactacademy.com. The YouTube channel is the same, educationalimpactacademy.com. I'm here to just share what I have learned and experienced that has been so empowering for kids parents, educators, myself as an educator. And I only want to find a way to bring it to anyone listening that will help them. And so reach out if there's a way that you would get this material, share it with me because I might just create it and put it together in in the way that you want it, whether it's like maybe Facebook lives is when people could just get on and give me two minutes and go, right? Because everyone's busy. They they don't always have time to sit down and do all this. this I, I, I literally this past weekend, I recorded my live course. So when someone wants it, cause they, they need it on the go and they can't come 6 PM on a zoom on a Tuesday night, here it is this way for you. So it's just finding out what's going to work with the community, really help them and give them these resources to help. That's awesome. Karin, Dr. Karin Jakubowski, thank you so much truly for sharing your approach, sharing your knowledge, everything with us tonight and for your time. Really appreciate it. And, and had a wonderful time. This was so fun. I enjoyed yeah, it too. Thank you. Me too. Well, all the best. So nice meeting you. Oh my gosh. Well, I can't wait. And I hope we can connect again soon. 100%. I'd love to. And if you need anything, definitely reach out. If there's anything I can do to support you or you have a question or anything like that, I would love to partner in any way to keep supporting the work that you're doing as well. Thanks, That's the best. Thanks a ton. Take care. Bye. You're welcome. Did you learn something or did you learn something? I didn't listen to the interview. Shane. I do have time for this. I got a plan for uh, Nostalgia Day. All right. Well, I I will start to show you some of the things that I learned uh, with Dr. Uh, Jakubowski because they, they are fascinating. And I spoke to my mom and Nona, and they've used techniques similar to these with children, you know, that they've worked with as educators and with amazing things to say about them. And, and I really like the way that Karen does, you know, bring in mindfulness to her job and it's so good for any parent. Like if a principal is handling a school with 300 kids, you know, I think I think we could try to bring this to our home with, you know, one, two, five, ten kids, whatever. And I, I think there can only be good from trying. We could also try to bring the mailbag segment, Ooh, yes, which is a time where listeners submit questions. You do the research on Google. You answer them. I sit back and enjoy the ride. Ride starts now, Alex. All right. So first questions, the first three were What's the your same. New Year's resolution? Surprise, surprise, but great question. So, oh, I didn't mean to be condescending there. <laughs> so, any New Year's resolutions? And what are your goals for the podcast and for your personal lives in 2022? So, New, New Year's resolution slash goals. I'd say personal, and I, I feel like I make this goal every year, and I feel like I make some wins in this goal every single year, and I also take some hits, but it's just getting on top of my shit getting on top of it, being able to better manage myself and what I want to do because I feel like every year there's things that I miss out on doing even though I want to do them because I don't have... Such as? 
the bandwidth well last year I started writing a book and I was like okay I, I just uh, I started not having time and I, I still do want to finish it but it's just trying to manage what I want to do what's practical what's realistic and I don't know just just a figuring book is out realistic what's more realistic than a person who's an English major writing a book it wasn't it wasn't realistic at the time last year when I was doing it so I, I put it off but I still have it and I still do want to do it. Oh, you told me you didn't want to do it anymore. Not at that time. I want to do it eventually. Hmm. But um, yeah, it's, so it's, it's learning how to manage my shit, I guess, is, is my personal. And then my work goal is like, is it crazy to say? I just want to blow up. I just want to. I feel like we had a lot of success, different kind of success in mm-hmm. 2021. And I want to keep pushing and I, I want to continue to improve at interview skills, podcasting skills, like Instagram skills. It, it, it's such a skill and I kind of suck at a lot of the things that you require. And I know you don't. And I, what do you think the number one way to blow up would be? Keep trying. Yeah. Staying yeah. consistent. Exactly. So if you just plan to stay consistent, stay on track, don't get discouraged. Good things will happen. That's it. Just sometimes you get discouraged. And when you get thrown mm-hmm. off track, I find you really you get thrown so far off that yeah. it's hard for you to come back. No, I, I totally agree. And and that's kind of what this encompasses, right? It's prioritizing having an, a clear idea of what I want. And that's a huge part of it, having a clear idea of what I want and then making it work to get there. But what about you, personal and work? I'd like to be a better leader. And I'm trying to make the best sketch show that's ever come out of Canada right now. And I think I can do it. And it feels like it's going to happen. So that's exciting. And I think 2022 is either going to be the best year of my life or the worst. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm scared. I'm scared for a lot of things. You know, my mom's sick. My yes, mom has terminal yes, cancer. Yes, like, yes, yes. this is all crazy shit for me to deal with all at once. And the kids are at such yeah. an age where it's tough with them and it's a pandemic and yeah. all this. So I want to be able to handle things better in general. Leadership's something I really want to improve upon mm-hmm. and just leading myself better, like trusting that I can keep my emotions in check for my, my own benefit, like forget yeah. other people just for me. So for me, that is my goal. No, and that's, that's amazing. That's a great goal. Next question. Did your friends and family always take your Instagram and podcast seriously and were they always supportive? I would say a big fat no, right? I'd say supportive, yes, but did they take it seriously? No. And I think that the people that weren't supportive weren't unsupportive. They just kind of just didn't say anything. First and foremost, your family was always very supportive of it, especially Mm -hmm. your dad. Yes, I agree. And your dad's a huge cheerleader for you and me. Yeah, big time big time i'd say i'd say it was more friends i feel like my brother still is embarrassed by it uh i feel like my dad is supportive of whatever we do i feel like my mom's in it for some things and other things she questions or doesn't get and then i have some friends who have literally like never mentioned it like not once they haven't changed their tune so they're still not being supportive it's not like well i haven't heard it yeah i haven't heard anything yeah, I think my friends are impressed about the success of it, but I still think they probably make fun of me behind <laughs> my back. I guess when it becomes a business, it justifies the means for it. I think mm. they understand it more. But certainly in the beginning, I was a bit of a laughing stock. But luckily, 
that's my sweet spot. I'm, I've always been used to being made fun of. I have no embarrassment or shame in that regard. We're doing silly videos that are for the mom crowd. I don't know. <laughs> I thought you were going to say for the people. Well, they are. They're for I, a segment know, of I people. Agree. It's not necessarily my bread and butter something that I would thought I'd be doing as a kid when I was a grown man. But now that I'm in it, I'm proud of it. And we created something. And, and that's awesome. It's your people. Like it's parents. It's people in the same situation as you, right? Oh, I and know. It's just when we're doing a TikTok or Instagram reel, it's not necessarily my humor. No, I'm, of I'm course, way yeah. sillier, cruder, whatever. But I like to make content that works yeah. for the genre that I'm playing in. Like if I'm doing a drama, I, I want it to affect people, even though in real life I'm not that dramatic or serious. No, exactly. Exactly. And so many of our friends too are not in that position. So I can get why maybe they make fun of it a little more, right? Because they, they don't, All my friends are demo. in that position. All my friends are. Most of them. But they're men too. And men yeah. are, I don't know, more cynical. That's how I'd put it. Uh, okay. Do you think it's inevitable that we're all going to catch COVID? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I guess. What, there's 16,000 cases a day? It seems seems that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't want to, but I Yeah, mean, I think that doesn't need to be stated. It, well, it, it leads into the next question. Do you worry less about COVID now that you have your booster? And 100%. I, I feel, when does our booster officially kick in, Shane? Did we get a week ago or two weeks ago? I think it, we're probably four or five days away from it officially being at maximum power. It might be this Wednesday. It might be like three days away or two days. I honestly don't care. <laughs> Like well, it, getting the exact day perfect. I'm just it, in the house. Not that it matters. Yeah, because Ontario, where we live, is uh, kind of shut down again as of today. So I, I guess it doesn't matter because we're, we're inside still, you know. Um, okay. What defines a good parent and how do you know that you're doing a good job? Okay, so I, I looked this up because if, if I, you were just to ask me, I'd be like, oh, love and, you know, your kids feeling loved, which is a part of it. So your kids feeling loved and supportive. A huge part of it is your kids having their own identity as they grow. Because I think a lot of parents, even if you love your kids, maybe you're using them even sometimes maybe without your knowledge to kind of achieve the things that you didn't or be the person that you wished you were or something. So if your kids can come out of it with their own identity and feel secure in that for the most part, I think that's great. Uh, And if they practice good habits, even when they don't know you're watching, which is a given, but obviously that's great. And we, we can all hope for these things, but I mean, can you measure being a good parent like that? I don't think so. I think good parenting is going to be so different for every family depending on your needs. But I think for where we live and the time we live in, that's okay. Okay. My husband has a teenage son. He's 15 and always in the bathroom with his phone. How do you approach the subject of masturbation? He even does this when we're visiting relatives. Is there a place and a time for this? So again, look this one up because I know nothing about talking to teenagers about masturbation. I know with kids, you know, it's suggested by, I don't know, any parenting book that I've read to start the conversation young in the sense that like, oh, okay, you know, that's fine, but we don't do that here, whatever. Just in ways that, you know, your kid can understand is age appropriate. Uh, But if you are talking to a teenager, it's important that your child has a shame-free understanding of everything but also really understands privacy and boundaries you own the home you're the parent 
you can set those boundaries. However, you have to be fair about it too. And puberty is a weird time. Like if the kid's 15, you know, their body's changing. It's all that cliche stuff, but it really is an awkward time. And that a topic like masturbation, you're the last person they're going to want to talk about it with. Like they learn all about it from their friends and from the internet and TV. They don't want to talk to you about it necessarily. And they might kind of deflect. But if you do have issues about how often it's happening or where it's happening, like when you're visiting relatives, then that is an issue with boundaries and privacy and you should address it with them. So one thing that I kept reading was that if they try to deflect and you start the conversation, go into it with like kindness and a relaxed tone and humor, but don't let them deflect away from it entirely. Like see it through to the end. And the worst thing you can do, and again, I read this a few times, is stop the conversation in your own embarrassment, right? And be like, oh, this is getting too much for me. And then like you walk away from it. So you just have to kind of like keep your head more mature and more clear and not let their embarrassment, I guess, like, you know, go over to you and affect how you're approaching the conversation. But that's tough. Like that's so tricky. It's so tricky. Like did anybody, nobody talked to me about that when I was a teenager, it was all friends, TV, eventually the internet. But what about you? No, never. No, I was masturbating when I was six years old. It was when I started five or six. And I inherently knew it was shameful and you shouldn't do it in public. I had a brief moment where, like, I started out humping a teddy bear. That's how I started. And at one point at the, my dinner table, I told my parents I wanted <laughs> to show them. This was before they divorced. Maybe this was the cause of the <laughs> divorce. I don't know. But I said, oh, I have to show you something in my room. And then I got the teddy bear out. And I was just about to start, start humping it. And they looked at me and I could tell something was wrong. And I just said, never mind. And then they left and went back. But I just always <laughs> knew it's not something you do in public. But friends of mine, their parents took me on vacation. And I just had to masturbate with, in some cases, like I'd be sleeping on the floor. And the parents would be on the bed and I'd have to do it because I'm going crazy. And it's, you can't. Why didn't you just go to the bathroom? Help it. I don't know if, I think I was so used to humping a bear. I needed to like hump something laying down when I was really young or I couldn't do it. It was weird. So it'd be like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. Like it was hard for me to figure out how to even Sounds do like it. it was. This was pre-internet for the yeah. most part. Like I didn't have videos showing me what to do i didn't even know other people did it if someone if a friend ever said to me you masturbate i would be humiliated mm -hmm. now it's like it's just a known thing i think everyone's teasing each other with it from mm -hmm. young age but it was so taboo that you know it was never discussed or acknowledged or anything which is a huge reason why i think experts are telling you as parents to like have the conversations with your kids when it's happening but teach them when it's okay, when it's not okay, that it's not shameful, things like that, right? Um, so yeah, it's it's a lot. Uh, anyway, what is one way, sorry, do you two have a will? We keep putting this off. I know firsthand that it is so important. We don't yet. And I know it's important. Like it's, I think about this anytime we're like driving to the cottage or thinking about traveling somewhere. Like, what happened? I don't even know what happens if we die. If you and I both died, where does everything go? Like, I don't know. Next of kin? I don't know. What, what is kin? 
Is well, kin kids. my sister? I think. Oh, is it? Is well, there? They're kids? directly made of us, right? So they'd be next. I just don't know what kin is. If it's Family. next, yeah. If that's it, okay. But like, I don't know if everything goes there without putting it in writing. There's only one way to find out. We need a will. Yeah. But Shane, that's it. That's all. Thank you so much for listening to this, this Family, Family Tree, Tree Podcast. Podcast, episode one fifteen.